Hello everyone, welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. This is Mitchie. So for today we're going to go into the third and final part of the Tohoku earthquake and tsunami disaster. Um, Part 1 and Part 2 we discussed what happened at both uh, Fukushima, Daiichi, and Daini nuclear power plants in the wake of the quake and tsunami. Of course we mentioned that the devastation left at the time of this disaster caused roughly around 18,500 people dead or missing. By today, that number has grown to around 20,000 people. Now, thankfully, nobody directly was killed or hurt from the nuclear disaster at Daiichi, but there were 2,000 people, roughly, that were evacuated from their homes in the surrounding area. And the evacuation did, however, contribute to the deaths of individuals that were primarily either elderly or immune-compromised because of having to move from their locations. And a lot of those people today who are still alive still are not able to go back to their homes. And this was a devastation that had not been seen in Japan since the uh, bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. Now, the days leading up to March 11th, Japan had experienced a plethora of earthquakes and dealt with threats of aftershocks and tsunamis, but Japan as a nation was accustomed to um, earthquakes and tsunamis, and this wasn't anything new to them, but nobody could have predicted the sheer size of the earthquake that would happen on the day of March 11th and the tsunami that would follow soon after because of it. Now, the people in Japan had been given a warning of potential strong aftershocks, but a 9.0 earthquake and tsunami wasn't something that people could have anticipated, much because one of this size had never been recorded in Japan's history before, and the last time that a tsunami near the size of the one that happened on the events of March 11th was recorded was hundreds of years prior. The length of the quake itself was about six minutes and continued growing stronger and stronger as people in various parts of Japan would be forced to cling on to whatever they could or shield themselves from falling debris. Even places as far away as Russia and China would feel tremors and minute aftershocks because of the shakes. And even a satellite from space detected low-frequency sound waves that came from the sheer size and strength of this earthquake. Now, the earthquake was indeed very sizable, and the largest that Japan had ever seen, and one of the largest in the world, but the true devastation did not come from the quake or from the fallouts of Daiichi. Instead, the main devastation that Japan saw was from the tsunami. Many people weren't necessarily scared of earthquakes, because this was something, like I said, as a nation Japan could handle very well. There was um, records in um, Richard Lloyd Perry's book Ghost of the Tsunami where he talked about a group of women who had been watching a show at a theater and they continued to watch the show even during the earthquake and the actors continued acting until the shakes got so bad that they couldn't continue the show. And there was also a man who ran a fine china shop who had not lost a single plate despise, despite the um, shakes. These people just simply went about their day. And, of course, you know, the tsunami warning 
went off and people were preparing for one, but they just never could anticipate the grave matter of what was coming. Um, the waves reached 40 meters, or roughly about 130 foot tall, in it, at its highest when it came rushing towards the island of Japan at astronomic speeds. When it crashed, seawalls that were 18, 19, 20 feet tall were absolutely no match, with water cascading over it like an overboiled water pot. Flooding into countrysides, crashing through airports, and lifting houses completely off of their foundation and spinning them around like they were nothing. Images of debris caught on fire floating across land on the water were prominent and around 200 million tons of broken debris was now floating in Japan like a wasteland. Boats that were once meant to sail across the ocean were now being towed through streets of towns by the very thing it was designed to sit on top of. Cars that were trying to escape the waves were completely engulfed in the process. And by the end of it, over $210 billion worth of damage would incur. By 2021, the total number of dead would reach close to 20,000 people with close to 3,000 to date still missing. In response to the tsunami, we talked about Fukushima Daiichi um, having a subsequent meltdown. And because of this meltdown, places like Germany, Italy, and Switzerland stopped their nuclear power movements. Now, the sheer effect of this disaster caused a massive amount of destruction as well as an incredible loss of life, with people being drowned, crushed, and or burned because of this situation. The after effects saw farmers unable to work on their farms because of salt water or radioactivity leaking into ground soil around their homes or their homes had been completely washed away. Livelihoods had been destroyed and made difficult for people to move on. And of course, because of this, many people fell into great battles of depression and would end up losing their own lives because of that. There were many rumors of people living close to the nuclear plant uh, being radioactive. Despite it not actually being true, the stigma was still alive and well. Negative stigma flooded through much of um, society, just like the floodwaters had, and kids who lived in the area were left ostracized by others in schools. Now, there had been stories of ghosts that were haunting the area as a result of the uh, quake and tsunami. Stories of a woman who would join her friends for tea or any kind of a treat and would sit on a pillow that was vacant and when she disappeared that pillow would be soaking wet. There were stories of taxi drivers who would pick up people and there would be records of their uh, meters showing that they were going on a trip to certain areas of Japan only for there not to be a single person in the back of the seat when they arrived to the destination. Now, there was also some very good stories as well, like um, the story of Babu the Shih Tzu. He um, had taken his owner, uh, Miss Akanuma, for a walk, or she had, he had made her take him for a walk 
way earlier than what he normally would have on the day of March 11th. And it was like a game of tug and catch up where Babu would constantly pull and continue to push Misankanuma to go on this walk up hills and mountain mountainous areas only for the tsunami to come crashing through minutes after she had reached um, the peak of safety. And as she turned around, she noticed her home being completely engulfed by the muddy floodwaters. And of course, had it not been for her dog completely being antsy, running around, demanding to go on a walk way earlier than before, they probably would not have survived the um, earthquake and tsunami. But the main category that I want to talk about today is out of everything that shook the nation and the world, one that stood out and was very heartbreaking and, of course, horrifying was the story of what happened at Okawa Elementary School. Now, the elementary school was about 200 miles north of Tokyo, located in the Kamaya village, and the school itself was only a small distance away from the Kitakami River. And on the day of March 11th, it was just another day for many children. They were getting up, getting ready to go to school, much like uh, Tetsuya Tadano, who was 11 years old and attending Okawa Elementary School. And it was also his mother's 40th birthday. So the school day went about, children, you know, playing outside, fighting off the cold wind, fighting off, you know, the impeding snow that would come. And lessons finished about 2.30 in the afternoon. Buses started lining up to get kids home. You know, parents were arriving to pick up their children. And a lot of children still kind of hung out around the school for about 15, 20 so minutes, even after lessons were done. Now, we note that the earthquake struck Japan at 2.46 in the afternoon. So there were many kids that were still at school when the earthquake had hit. Uh, Teachers ran through the school and out of it as well to find students who lingered telling them to hold on to desks or shield their heads, anything that they could um, put on their helmets just trying to wait out the quake. Now, Kawa Elementary had been designed as a safe zone in the event of earthquake and tsunamis, so it was assumed that given the magnitude of this quake and the threat of the impending tsunami, children and others would, you know, evacuate to this area to be safe or, you know, gather in the gym that was at the school. Now, after the quake, the notice was a warning of about a 6-meter or 20-foot tsunami impeding, Later, it would change to 10 meters, or about 32 feet. Teachers gathered children at the school and kind of huddled them into lines in the playground of the school. And they waited underneath um, yet-to-blossom cherry trees. And the children sat there and talked amongst themselves as they waited it out. But that wasn't the worst part of it all. The school's headmaster, Toshia Ishizaka had been in charge of looking over the manual on what to happen and make a plan in the event of a devastation like this. However, it became quite clear that there hadn't been enough evacuation drills, if any at all, despite having a manual on what to do. There wasn't much detail in this manual. 
um, talking about where to go to be safe. Um, it talked about, you know, elevating to higher ground or to a vacant land, but that was about it. Now, he had been responsible for this plan to keep the children safe, and this plan was still extremely vague. So it was entirely up to the imagination of people on what location or plot of land would be the safest for them to go to. But he assured the parents that drills had been done, and they had been done over and over, but it just wasn't true. Now, right by the school playground stood a hill that reached about 220 meters at its highest point, or 721 feet. It would have been ideally the best and safest area to relocate everybody during the time that they had, which was roughly about 50-ish minutes. But one teacher and students had begged and asked, and they were told that they just couldn't do it, that it would be impossible to relocate everybody up this hill, so they just kind of stood at the bottom on the playground and waited. Now, the teacher that I mentioned who voiced a lot of concern was a senior teacher by the name of Junji Endo. Uh, some accounts say he asked simply if they should go up the hill, while others say he was rather frantic and kind of, you know, urging and yelling for everybody to relocate up this hill. And other children, like um, students by the name of Saisuke Kono and Yuki Sato picked up on this and of course they're getting scared because the adults in charge are showing panic or showing concern so they started begging to go up the hill as well. But unfortunately uh, Endo and these children were ignored and told to come back to the playground to wait. But the boys um, famously were noted saying that if they stayed in this location uh, they would die. But teachers would stand there and tell them not to say such selfish things or to calm down or shut up. And the unfortunate thing is the boys were right. Now, some parents did come to collect their children after the quake and they fled as soon as possible just because of, you know, worry and fear. Despite having, you know, the headmaster and other teachers assure them that they were safer in this location. But these were concerned mothers, and these concerned mothers not only were getting this kickback that they shouldn't worry from, you know, the teachers, they were getting it from elderly male retirees who stated how safe it was to be at the school and that they shouldn't leave. So, a complete unwanted opinion. Now, there had been a worker for the local town government, um, Toshinobu Okawa, he had been driving through the town to give warnings of the tsunami when they noticed in front of them a wall of foamy white that just kept getting closer and closer by the second. People nearby could be heard screaming, they were yelling to run that the tsunami was coming, and trees started to become completely swallowed by the waves as um, the truck that Okawa was in made a break for it. They were rushing through, calling out about a super tsunami at this point because it was way bigger than what had been anticipated and this these waves just came crashing into the nearby town of Matsubara. You know, they kept yelling at everybody as they raced through the town that they had to evacuate and he recalled people standing around like nothing was wrong 
paying little to no attention to the warnings. They recalled a police car, not even passing the message along as they were running through the town. And he said that they even ran by the school, noting that they had to have heard their message as they continued to shout their warning, but people just didn't take it as seriously as they should have. It was about 3.30 in the afternoon when the waves came rushing towards the school. Mud oozed from manhole covers like Play-Doh, and people began making a break up the hill while cars were screeching to a halt and people were leaving their cars to run up this hill. But despite this, Ishizaka told the children to head towards what was called Traffic Island in that area and to do so in a single fashion and not to run. This was a point where the roads met the new Kitakami Great Bridge and something that Ishizaka didn't know or just refused to acknowledge was that he was leading these children into a massive mouth of water. And so, the children as well as the teachers and Ishizaka himself made a run back to the school and up the hill, most of them tripping and getting caught up. And it was pure horror and devastation as only a sheer few would survive this. 74 children were left to perish as well as 10 teachers. Now, many parents, in the wake of this, they were waiting for their children, um, just listening to the radio because they had no power or any access to the internet or a television. And there were stories of, you know, the children being stuck in the school and just kind of surrounded by water and waiting to be evacuated. So, like, a helicopter was going to come and evacuate these children. So, you know, parents of these children were clearing an area for the helicopter to land, but that helicopter never came. And it would be later that a lot of these parents learned the grueling reality of what had actually happened. Many of them cursed themselves for not picking up their children because the few that had been picked up had all survived. But these were parents who were assured that their children were safe they had been following protocol, they had been reassured that drills had been done. But as bad as it was for these parents, they weren't able to get the answers that they needed. In fact, it was nearly impossible for them to get any kind of answer. Now, they never really got an official statement on what had happened. More like half-hearted apologies that were completely barren and empty from the surviving people. And... Little trickles of answers that were never quite there, but was more so just a repetition of what they were told before. Parents of the children who were lost were told by city officials of explanatory meetings that they could attend, but these meetings, nothing came of them. The only thing that really flourished in these meetings was the complete heartbreak and rage of these parents demanding to know why their children had to die? Why had something not been done? Why had they not gone up the hill? Why had somebody not done something different? Now, it would be 
two years after the incident that a committee would be established called the Okawa Elementary School Incident Verification Committee. Very much a mouthful. And their whole purpose was to review documents and interview people to get a complete answer on what had actually happened. But it was limited at best. The report decided not to place a blame on anyone in particular, but rather say that the events that had unfolded were a result of inadequate and delayed evacuation. And because the victims had fled towards the tsunami and not away from it. So... In a way, even though it says that it didn't really, you know, place blame on anybody, you can't help but feel that they were kind of blaming literal children themselves for walking into the tsunami despite being told by the headmaster of all people that they shouldn't be selfish and they should do as he is, says. Now, from what I gathered, the headmaster himself did survive and told half-hearted stories that were easily debunked on how he bravely traversed up the hill and saved a child, but this child had come forth and said that none of that was completely true. He just kind of ran up there and was like in this shock and just kind of sat there until the light had cleared through and they were able to get rescued. But the report that was made did admit that the school and the officials were ill-prepared for such an event that was to happen. The evacuation map had not been properly routed and didn't include areas like Kamaya as a potential hazard area for tsunamis. But the biggest controversy from this came that Okawa um, was silencing the surviving boys like Tetsuya Tadano, who we mentioned earlier, one of the boys who pleaded to run up this hill. The report never mentioned it, that these boys were begging to go up the hill. So parents were being fed the same apologies and retellings, and they weren't getting a full story unless it came from the surviving children or people around that area who witnessed it. Now the parents of the children who died didn't end up filing a lawsuit against the Ishinomaki city in Miyagi prefecture, for their negligence and the loss of their children's lives. The initial grievances that started in 2011 wouldn't turn into like witness testimony and interviews and actually going forth anywhere until April of 2016. And a verdict wouldn't be heard until October of 2016. Now, the parents did win this lawsuit, about 1.4 billion yen, But it didn't bring their children back. This wasn't any consolidation to them. One father named Hiratsuka Shinichiro lost his daughter Koharu in the tsunami. He stated that he felt so frustrated because he never heard a single convincing answer as to why things happened the way that they did. Nothing that they said, nothing that the city could have done what little bit that they did do helped him come to terms with losing his daughter. He said it would take him studying on the situation himself to finally understand and come to terms with something that never should have had to happen to begin with. 
Now, after the ruling, the Miyagi Prefecture used the school as a memorial to provide disaster management and training to people who were like teachers and anybody else in the community who wanted to learn. Now, Hiratsuka actually became one of these teachers and gave lectures to teach people the certain biases that come along in disasters and to help people cope that way they can, you know, analyze these posed dangers such as the ones that happened in Okawa. Some of these biases that he brings up, um, one of them is known as a majority sinking bias, where people tend to just kind of follow the leader and feel security in the most confident person. And also normalcy bias, where people minimize the threats and they don't want to really look at the reality of it as a way to cope. Now, in recent years, there are... A lot of people, especially survivors of the tsunami, even those children at Okawa that survived the tsunami, who worry that the memory of this is fading. People like Nayuta Gambe, who survived the incident at Okawa, now spends um, his time teaching people the importance of preparedness as well as stressing how what happened at Akawa should be a lesson for us all and not something easily forgotten. What Nayuta experienced, as well as many others, was nothing short of a complete horrific tragedy. We're 12 years on now, and the memory of what happened definitely needs to be kept well and alive in hopes to prevent another mass loss in the wake of a natural disaster to the best of our own ability. Because while we may not be able to predict when a disaster will strike, one thing we can have in our control is the preparedness level that we can have. We must do this not to let the victims be simply a mere memory or just a page on a textbook. These were children who were loved, like Yuki Sato, Chizato Shito, Mizuha Sato, and many others. We need to remember, for the sake of mothers like Naomi Hiratsuka, who was literally digging in rubble and mud to find her child, but not just her child, other children as well. This was a woman who got a license to operate crane machinery just so she could dig her daughter Koharu from the mud. And it would be five months after the incident that she would actually find her daughter. We've got to remember for the mother, Miho Suzuki, who penned a heartfelt letter to her missing child, who to this day I don't believe has ever been found. That letter was pinned onto a makeshift shrine at the shell of what is now Okawa Elementary School. And as I said, these were people. It wasn't something that should easily be ignored or forgotten even with the ghost stories that came out of this. Now, of course, there was a tell of a Buddhist priest who was performing exorcisms, especially on this one woman, who said that she had felt like there were so many people within her, and the Buddhist priest himself said that these were the spirits of people lost to the tsunami, including one of a father who had tried to go pick up his daughter, not realizing that he had passed, and that of a child who was crying out for their mother 
and apologizing for not being able to hold on to their sibling in the tsunami. Even if you're not somebody who believes in ghosts and, you know, there are scientists out there who say that everything that was experienced and the PTSD of this all was just mass hallucination and hysteria that caused these ghosts to appear, many people still heavily believe this is true and there are still many people today that are still having to, you know, just recoup from what happened as a result of this disaster in 2011. I want to thank you all for listening in on this story today. If you have any additional comments or anything that you would like to um, correct or add on, just please let me know. You can email me at manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also reach out to me on Facebook and Instagram as well as Manic Manor Podcast. So until the next episode, you guys, I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And as always, I will see you in the next one.